for October 31st, 2022. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 748. Everyone's mid on Middle Earth. Hello and welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet. It's something of a parasocial relationship. I'm not going to lie. But but we are fond of saying that we are never happier than when we are watching movies, looking at shows, talking about the things we like, maybe even the things we don't like, and and when we hear the new Riddick movie comes out and all that stuff. But that is something of a lie, because there are times we are happier. This week, one of those times. And this topic is one of those topics that is related tangentially, a little forced, to the reason why people are really happy this week. So I'm Peter Fensel. In case you haven't realized, Matt Rather is not here. He has gone into the smithy to hammer at the very burning blood of creation and forge a ring of power that he will use to get married to wonderful Christina, who was a guest last week on our Taylor Swift podcast. So we all got to know her a little bit more, and a lot of the overthinkers are going to be there. Uh, but I am more goth and will not. Uh, I'm, <laughs> so we're going to talk about the Rings of Power, the Amazon show. And I've got Jordan here with me. Hey, Jordan, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? You know, it's going great for everyone else. But I sing a different song of individuality and creativity and industry that will darken the world and usher in an age of furious battle and death. Um, no, I have a small, a very, very small child that can't get on an airplane. So I will be <laughs> not traveling to the uh, In the Darkness Binding ceremony that will be taking place this week. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't yeah. say it that way. Uh, but, but Jordan, are, you're, going to, you're going to the party, right? You're going to the, the Ring Fest? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm going to be taking Giant Eagle Air. And, Ooh, uh, <laughs> that's great. Cut out the middleman. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. It's going to be great to see everybody in person. It's going to be great to celebrate. Uh, but, you know, th- those, those rings and uh, meet space overthinkers, like, th- that's of no concern to the people on this fine podcast. They, they care about our hot takes and about uh, intellectual property and stuff that is maybe fit for or maybe not fit for publication. And, you know, the Rings of Power, the most expensive TV show that ever was, right? Really? It's that, that expensive? That, <laughs> it I mean, looks I, expensive. I believe it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pro- probably, probably. I mean, obviously, the Super Bowl is the most expensive TV show, right? But, but this one is giving it a run for its money. Fair enough. Yeah, we're not going to say anything about like the golf. Um, as uh, I already did, it's too late. But this is all related. <laughs> okay, so here's our hot take. We liked the Rings of Power. <laughs> we're going to talk about it. It is the hottest take on this uh, volcanic volcanic matter that you will encounter on this here internet i mean it's not perfect obviously but but we liked it and we're going to talk about it i was saying in the pregame like i really liked this show however it doesn't have a lot of the things that i usually would have i would have expected to say a show needs to have this in order for me to like it you know like it doesn't have a uh a plot that makes sense for instance yes yes Sympathetic, um, and, a sympathetic main protagonist, the audience serves as an audience surrogate, or that has like interesting things to do or say, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, it, like 
I, I would typically say that I need to, if people are going to go and do a thing, I need to know why they're going and doing a thing. Like, even if it's a dumb reason, I would just like to know why they're going and doing a thing. And yet, and like in this show, none of that stuff really seems to matter. And I don't know if it's because it's just so like prettily done and the music sounds so good or whether there's something about the underlying material that just doesn't require that kind of treatment. Um, it does strike me, actually, and this is maybe a, a fertile jumping off point, that like a lot of these things that I'm saying where I'm like, you know, I don't understand the plot and people do stuff for no fool reason and the protagonists are not that likable. This does apply to many books of the Bible, <laughs> come to think of yes. it. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, which, so, and that was obviously part of Tolkien's whole deal. Uh, but this, this brings me to maybe like the first thing I want to try to get at, which is what the heck is this? You know, like this is from the Silmarillion, which is famously a book that many have started and few have finished. Uh, and it's telling a story that we kind of already know because we've seen the Lord of the Rings movies and read those books cover to cover. And yet it's like, also not telling that story and i wonder do you have any do you have any thoughts about you know the the particular narrative status that the rings of power show has i think you're dead on by thinking of it as scriptural i think it aspires to that level of artistic authority and that that sort of expression of symbolic and moral concepts and patterns and uh connections Type and anti-type, different. The same characters showing up in different places as different people, doing slightly different things, or prefiguring future characters that we know by virtue of having story before are going to come around. I will say this: I watched the show with my wife. Uh, we are bound by a ring of power, of course, two, two rings of power. We don't wear them as much since quarantine because when around here knows we're married, but uh, <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. but but we do have them and. Uh, uh, but yes, the she did not have any experience, and I'm, I'm not going to say this is like the Silmarillion strictly because I think there's material from appendices from other things. But the main gist, gist is that this is all deep lore stuff that wasn't published during the author's lifetime that has become part of the fixation on the deep lore and the kind of uh, engagement with this fictional world in ways. And uh, and yeah, it feels like feels like a sort of scriptural thing. But what I, what I'll say is. It's really interesting to me. I, I'm enjoying the prequels that have to solve a prequel problem, meaning that there's a story that's going to happen in the future that's going to spoil what's going to happen. So it's like you yeah. know what's going to happen. Frodo and, and Sam are going to eat that brace of conies and, uh, and, and nine-fingered Frodo and the crack of doom. Spoilers, uh, Gollum turns out to get the last rose. Uh, yes. and wins the bachelorette. <laughs> 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 um, so, but yes, but the idea is that we, we're supposed to know there's different levels of people that are supposed to be watching the show, and the show seems to be trying to, with a lot of attention to detail, attend to those different people, with the result that it is a very complicated show where a lot of things are happening on different levels. So I think there is there are people who know the Peter Jackson movies, as the main story. And it's like, okay, at some point in the future, the Peter Jackson movies are going to happen. A bunch of people have seen those movies. So if we refer to the characters in those movies that we don't have the rights to actually talk about, then those people should get a charge or a special uh, resonance with the expectation of what's going to happen and how the plot 
doesn't necessarily relate to the events that came before or after it in this show, but rather relates to the events that came before or after it in the movies that they all saw, right? And so it's yeah. sort of like a meta show in that respect. But then like it's a, also attending, yeah, go for it. Just a, like a, a very, a very minor but significant uh, manifestation of that is that two of the central characters here, right, are Elrond and Galadriel, both of whom we know and love from those movies, but who don't, I believe, interact with each other at all in all of the, <laughs> you know, in those 20 hours of cinema, whatever it is. So having like, oh, you know, Elrond and Galadriel are actually buds. That's, that's like kind of nice. You're like, oh, cool. They know each other. Yes. <laughs> this is, this is like one of those old TV specials where like, uh, Frank Sinatra shows up to sing Christmas carols at Mr. Rogers' house or something like that. <laughs> Um, and, and in that sense, it's a reward for people who already have feelings about Elrond and Galadriel. Uh, but yes, go on. Uh, so, yes. And then also, there's even more obscure ones, like like Isildur, right, who's a major character in this show and who appears... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, go, go on, go on. So, so Isildur is like a really, really important character in the first couple of minutes of the lord of the rings movie yeah, right yeah. like and then and then doesn't doesn't show up again in what way is he important Pete? like what what's the thing that isildur does he's one of the first hard to pronounce and difficult to understand names that gets read to you by the narrator so you should that's assume true. it's important but no yeah. no, no I, I shouldn't be so diminishing isildur is isildur commits the sin right yeah. isildur is the sort of uh he's the guy who's who finally irretrievably screws everything up for yeah. that generation. Like right? he is, He's, he yeah, is yeah. famously biblically trash. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that, that is like the thing that is known about Isildur. And I feel like this is a place where, um, you know, I, the character Isildur on the show like works, you know, you can sort of see his arc, you see his family relationships. It's a believable archetype. Uh, there are interesting things going on with him. Fine. But like, the, the way that he is, he's sort of like, he's like, oh, I'm such a mess up. Gosh, dad was never going to really believe in me. I hope I can prove myself, right? And, yeah. you know, he, presumably he's going to have that arc. But here's the thing. We know that at the end, like, he's not going to have the moral fiber. He's going to bone everyone forever <laughs> by refusing to destroy the ring of power, right? right. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. It's like, it's it's like a, a Kid Crusher, the Blaze and the Monster Machines pre about Crusher aspiring to become a great uh, a great monster truck racer, and we just exactly. know yeah. when we yeah. get to the main show, Crusher is going to cheat all the time, and he's going to ruin things for everybody. No one's yeah. going to get their ice cream, and there's going to be dinosaurs. Like if, <laughs> Sorry, if I, I, I if I was writing this, I would have had Isildur be like a awesome, cool, heroic guy, right? Yeah, have him show up acting like Aragorn does when Aragorn shows up in the Lord of the Rings movies. That that's an arc that makes more sense, I think, for where it's actually going. But uh, again. Again, you could very easily, even if you have seen those movies, not remember the name Isildur, right? You, you just think of him as like, oh, that guy. <laughs> yes, and there's a lot of characters like that, ones who are or aren't in this movie. Because like, I've read the full Silmarillion and at least half of the Lost Tales. I mean, have you, you've read the whole thing, right? No, I've I've read like the first two chunks of the Silmarillion. Uh, apparently, sort of poking around on Wikipedia, I read right up to the point where it starts to be a story, and then threw it away, being like, "Ah, this isn't a story. <laughs> this is incomprehensible trash." <laughs> yeah. I mean, not, not not trash. I was like, "This is no. very good. This is like reading the glossary in the back of Dune," which is I spent more time doing that than I 
ever did reading Dune, but I don't have time for it right now, right? I, I want something that actually has a story. And then it's like, oh, I guess, I guess that's going to happen eventually. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I read, I read like all the stuff about the creation of the world and I read like the big catalog of all of the gods. And I was like, you know, this was obviously very influential on Gary Gygax. But you know who was better at writing this kind of stuff? Gary Gygax. <laughs> <laughs> It's the highest praise Gary Gygax has ever received. Yeah, right. He's better at writing deep fantasy lore than J.R.R. Tolkien is, which, yeah. at least in terms of it being useful and easy to understand, is definitely yeah. true. And, like, fun to read, perhaps. Yeah, fun to but, read. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, but, but like, but so both of us have read the enough of the Silmarillion to know about Tolkien's overall, I don't want to call it cosmology, but his sort of moral, metaphysics of morals of Middle-earth and Valinor and all the other places and how it's sort of supposed to work and what it's supposed to be doing, which is not necessarily obvious in, even if you just read the right, reg- notice we skipped the regular books, right? We just, yeah. we just skipped the like, Oh, did you like reading about Helm's deep? Like we're going to tease <laughs> you with a Helm's deep in this show and then not do it. How do you like that? Right. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, they they did a mini deep. Helm's deep. They did a mini Helm's yeah. deep. Definitely. When I was watching that with my wife, she was like Helm's deep. <laughs> there you go. Well, that, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm straight up wrong with that. I apologize. Yeah. And I will say that, like, you know, if this is a prequel show where the point of it is even the very well-meaning people turn out to be huge jerks and failures, and and we're going to watch how all of their designs just fall the F apart, right? Except for the Hobbits, uh, yeah. who are the best. Yes. And Because uh, <laughs> the Hobbits are the best, because they, they care about eating apples and, and watching after their family and, and walking around, you know? It's like, good life, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, are, are we going to, at some point get the origin story of the hobbits getting baked off of their gourds all the time? <laughs> I hope so. I, it yeah. seems like they don't, they're running out of story, I think, right. To, to, to do with this, yeah, yeah. they're going to do another season, which I think yeah. they will. Yeah. And they have to, right? Because they they can't leave it here with like only only the elven rings actually forge. That feels unsatisfactory. And yeah. I mean, it's it's getting people are watching it, right? I think it's it's getting doing all right. Or I don't know. I haven't been checking the industry yeah. trades. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I, I will compare it to two other shows also, uh, where in terms of what it's doing that are fairly recent. Yeah. One is the Foundation show. They don't think you watch. I did not know. I never, I like, never read I, Foundation I either. Yeah. I was a huge Foundation fan, and I was like. 15 years you're a dude <laughs> but but so it's like yeah and maybe it should be depressed never mind. i'm not gonna but that's the whole point right is that the foundation series that they made for for uh, apple plus apple tv plus is a wrangling with the idea that this is a beloved story that has certain things about it that are very cool but that kind of sucks in like a whole bunch of ways and that we don't feel obligated to faithfully adapt. And I, it's like we have a, we as the people making the show have different opinions about the, st- the ideas that are in the books than the author does. And we're going to make a show that deals with and contradicts and conflicts a bunch of the ideas that are in the books and is going to use characters who are in the books. We will change their names. We will change their gender. We will erase people and swap their names around. You know, it will, we will change the order of events by years or thousands of years. It doesn't matter. We're going to invent whole things, major world building things, whole cloth. But the point is at its heart, it's going to have recognizable things from the foundation books. And we're going to make a good show that engages with the ideas that are in the foundation, books. the ideas of empire, the ideas of permanence, the ideas of progress, 
right? and the ideas of, of learning and the mind and the human mind and, uh, and savagery, what savagery is, right? And, uh, and who has it, who doesn't, all that. Um, and then the other, the other show it reminds me of is the rings of power or not the rings of power is the, it reminds me of rings of power is the wheel of time. Uh, did you watch the uh, wheel of time show? I watched uh, exactly one episode of it. Um, and was like, well, that's, they made some choices there. Yeah. <laughs> I think if, if, if I was if I was younger and had a few fewer responsibilities, I probably would be like watching it right now. You know, it was definitely good yeah. enough to catch my interest, but like not good enough to suck me in for what I know is a very very long series of books. <laughs> it's more on the level of like the magicians than the level yeah. of like you know the source material is generally mm-hmm. yeah. for, for whatever reason people have it, reverence it, it, for these books. Yeah, it is. I, mean, the, I like them. Don't get me wrong. But. Yeah, it's a, a sort of a Hercules, the legendary journeyfication of it, perhaps. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, and they CWify it, right? They make it about yeah. the relationships among teenagers. They swap around the teenagers. They make them all hot, which they yeah. definitely aren't in the story. But the main thing that they do is they take an obvious plot point that anyone who is even passingly familiar with the story knows very clearly. Such that it is even featured on the cover of and in the title of like multiple books that are published in series and make it the mystery of the first season with this idea like, hey, we changed so much. You don't know what we changed, right? Maybe we changed the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Who is the dragon reborn? Don't look at the cover of the third book. It tells you who it is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the crazy thing about the, uh, the, the wheel of time show in particular is that a lot of these real hard, right turns that they take with stuff. Um, like you, you, as someone who has read those books and like, I loved those books when I was a kid, I was like, wait, you can't, you can't change that. And then you realize like, wait a minute. Oh, oh no, wait, man, you've got to change that. <laughs> so for instance, like one of the things about the, um, the, the wheel of time is that this mystical figure, the dragon reborn is like, it's going to be a man. It's definitely going to be a man and he's going to be the strongest magic user ever. And he's going to, what's the thing they say about William Wallace, right? That he, uh, he's going to fart fireballs and spit lightning Shoot at the lightning British. Out of his arse, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Like he's, he's, he's just the bee's knees. And in, uh, in, in this, they're like, well, it could be a man or a woman. And you see, that's like, wait a minute. No, it's like, it's fundamental that it's a man. It's like, well, should it be fundamental that it's a man? <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we had the pacifist character kill his wife in the first 15 minutes of the show. So like, hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there's another thing, which is that like the, the, the society that they're put into, like, is this richly multicolored, you know, all, all shades of the rainbow, all kinds of ethnic heritages. Um, and, I was like, well, obviously that's good. It is a little bit weird that this town that they're in, which is this place called the Two Rivers, which is supposed to be this like isolated backwater enclave where, quote, the old blood runs true. And like all the people that are there are sort of special and better because the old blood is strong. And you think of that for like five seconds and you're like, yeah, come to think of it, they really did have to make that multiracial because... alternative is not to be tolerated right yeah um and i feel like there are there are some parts of that that could be brought up at least with regard to lord of the rings like a a big place where you see that happening is this really interesting really intense scene where um adar the the orc leader right 
uh, the Uruk leader, I should say, has been captured and Galadriel is interrogating him. And Galadriel is like, Galadriel is a beloved character in the books. And the Galadriel from the Peter Jackson movies is fantastic. And Galadriel in this is sort of like, okay, so take all that and then also add the Legolas from those movies, right? She's doing backflips. She's doing like, you know, classic John Ford, Yakima Kennet style horse stuff where she like flips down the side of the horse to dodge an arrow, right? She's, she's a badass. And then she's like, I'm going to genocide you. I'm going to genocide the heck out of you. And Adar, who has been a very compelling villain up to this point, and, you know, a sneering, brooding orc, all that stuff, he's like, we're, we're just people. We just want to have our slice of the earth, our place to live. Please don't call us orcs. We prefer the term Uruk. And it's really interesting because, like, Galadriel does not flinch. She says, your people were a mistake. I'm going to kill every last one and then come back and tell you that I've done it before I kill you last. Um, and the show just sort of lets that happen and then expects you to continue to think of her as a hero in the next, in like the next episode, which is striking, right? Yeah. <laughs> to, to watch. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. The, the whole, the whole idea that Galadriel, that, that the ruining, the ruination of the world isn't just a trick. It's not just like, hey, I made this ring. If you put it on, which is a totally normal thing to do with rings, then the world will be ruined. <laughs> gotcha. Right. Which just seems, doesn't seem fair. <laughs> it hardly yeah. seems fair. Right. But but the rings of power, I think, goes to a lot of trouble to show that the characters who are on the side of the good guys in the later stories who do make mistakes or I would even say choices, deliberate choices that ruin the world uh, are bad people in a lot of really intense ways. And that the ruination of the world is something that's deserved uh, because of what they did and how they choose to act and, and, and what they share and how they lie and, and how they betray people and their greed and all, and all that stuff. Uh, it's, I mean, it was so fun. I would say I had a couple of really favorite moments in the show. One of my favorite moments is the moment where Adar is standing before the, the 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 people and like the the little sniveling old man comes out and like pledges his loyalty to Sauron and he looks at him like you know uh, if you'd like to make a call please hang up and try again right like you kind of came to the wrong meeting right? like uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he just sort of looks at him like um, you really wanted conference room twenty five this is conference room twenty <laughs> right? like could you please leave and yeah. and uh, and and my wife is like wait. That's not Sauron. And I said, no, that's not Sauron. Sauron's his coworker. He doesn't like him very much. (laughs) 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 Just like, which is, I mean, one of the things about this show that I think is, is in the category of the things that you mentioned at the beginning of the show, which is things that I would normally disqualify me from liking a show, but in this case, didn't disqualify me from liking the show is that was such a cool moment. And the idea that Adar was going to be a different vision of who the orcs could be. And that someone was going to kill him, and that was what was going to lead to the orcs being Saurons, you know, like, uh, like, or that, like, there'd be some sort of way in which the orcs were stripped of a, from Adar, right, by, by killing him stupidly, or by using magic on them in some way, and then Sauron would come back, and then he would be in charge. I felt like it was a little bit unfortunate that Adar ended up being in the tank for Sauron as much as he was, because really what he wanted was, if not kind and not defensible from a moral standpoint in terms of how he went about it, but, like, reasonable— Right. For somebody that desperate, you know, it's like, well, look, we can't go outside or we die. 
this is because there was a crazy god who did this to us for no reason. Right? Like, uh, <laughs> we figured out that there's a way that we can create a cloud over this place in the world where not a lot of people live. Right? And like, uh, granted, the people who live there are in good shape and have like nice facial structures, right? And uh, and and are pretty and are uh, pretty. Uh, but smoldering without being outright sexual is that is that what the char- characteristics of the people of the Southlands are? I'm pretty sure um, that was on the casting call sheet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the be- find the beefiest elf. Um, yeah. Although I will say, just as a, as a side, if 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 that if that dude and I don't remember a lot of the names. Part of why I brought the Silmarillion is I don't remember the names of the people in the Silmarillion. I don't remember the names of the people in the show. <laughs> like it's it's sort of part of the experience that you sort of kind of remember what's going on. But the main sort of doomed lover elf guy. Yeah, Aaron Deer like is his name. Aaron Deer, okay. Yeah. And he's like the beefy elf. But then there's this random guy who has like four lines who just, I feel like the casting director is like, find me the elfiest elf in all of Elfland. <laughs> right? Like, find me the, <laughs> the man who looks the absolute elfiest that you've ever elfin seen in your whole effing life, right? Your whole elfin life. And so it's this like really tall, extremely angular guy with a really sharp nose and very delicate facial features. And it's like Lady Galadriel is like, go get me the scrolls. And he's like, yes, Melina. <laughs> and it's like okay that's that's the elfiest elf guy in all of elf but the point being that like adar's war of you know of kind of survival and conquest is not good but it's not like uber villain bad you know it's like it makes sense that the orcs would want to have a sort of limited place where they could live uh specifically because they were screwed with so much and then of course we see the opportunity that exists to negotiate with them which is just utterly thrown away now of course the end of the show then kind of betrays that by making them all in the tank for Sauron the whole time. And I think oh. the end of the show, the season rather kind of like renegs in some of its more interesting propositions that are made earlier. But then again, that's just sort of the proposition. I think we actually might need to wait to see what happens in season two, because I like, it could be that they are in the tank for Sauron the whole time. Um, or it could be that their plan is happening and Sauron's plan is happening and these are not really the same plan, right? Like right. the this is this is a so this is a change that has been made from the Silmarillion, at least as I understand it. The way that it works in the Silmarillion is that uh like the elves are sort of hanging on, doing their own thing, and this guy shows up who's like uh do I have this right that he's like he's pretending not to be Sauron at this point and he calls himself yes. like the the lord of gifts and he's like I just have gifts for you which <laughs> is something that like when you when you're reading it in sort of the the Tolkien kind of like biblical prose and it's like and then there came to this place um a man who called himself Anatar lord of gifts you're sort of like okay yeah like that that's how it works in the bible if you imagine it's an actual city Right, where some guy just like shows up at what's effectively like the um you know the the Lockheed Martin R and D lab of the elves, <laughs> and it's like I have such wonderful gifts, like you know, throw that guy into the sea. Drive in your laptop, yeah. wonderful things will happen. Yeah, throw that guy in the sea immediately, right? But anyway, yeah. he he then for like starts to forge all these rings, and at some point Galadriel gets suspicious and sort of like takes uh Celebrimbor or whatever his name is aside and says, like, look, how about you and me just make three rings for the elves, like, just on our own, without without uh, the Lord of Gifts being involved, you know, just for funsies, because she's suspicious, right? And then those three rings are preserved of the taint. Um, but 
it's not until Sauron forges the one ring and is like, um, you know, uh, like PS I'm Satan, right? Like, uh, that, that he sort of like drops the mask and reveals that this has all been his plan. This is a big change that in this case, he like, he sort of shows up to, to start to try to do that. Gladriel rolls him immediately. He leaves, and then the first rings that are created are these elven rings, which are, you, you get like the Galadriel the super racist thing coming in here again, where she's like, these rings must be only for elves. And her half-human buddy Elrond is like, okay. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I mean, how would you bring it up? It's pretty awkward. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving. You don't want to ruin it for everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyway, like, so, so then Sauron, like, the last shot of the show is Sauron walking into Mordor. Now, it could be that, like, this was all his plan to, like, to get caught by Galadriel for some reason and then go to, uh, to Mount Doom, which he has sort of engineered the creation of Mount Doom for the forging of the rings. Like, I've seen shows with dumber plots than that. But it also could be that, like, Adar is creating a homeland for the orcs and the volcano is for that purpose. Um, and Sauron is like, okay, plan B, I wasn't able to subvert elven society. I am defo going to be able to subvert orcish society. And we're going to see a conflict between Sauron and Adar, uh, as we see, you know, Galadriel doing whatever all else, uh, with her new magic ring powers as like the main arc of season two. That would be very cool. This is a show that brought up a lot of possibilities, what the story might be, especially for a prequel, which I really appreciate. I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, because the prequel, like, it's sort of the, the problem with prequels is that everything has to be ruined so that there's a problem for the, you know, the, the sequel to the prequel, the, the, the main thing. Uh, and there are a couple of ways in which this show plays really funny, like, head fakes with, you know that stuff's gonna go bad, but exactly what way is it gonna go bad, right? It sort of yeah. presents you with three plausible Sauron candidates. And depending upon whether you basically know him from the movies, where it's like, oh, he's the big sinister orc leader, probably. Adar is Sauron, or whether you know him from the Silmarillion, where you're like, whoever is being nicest to Celebrimbor is absolutely for sure Sauron. So, like, the, the second that he comes in and says, like, oh, you're Celebrimbor, and you're like, wait a minute. I mean, I thought <laughs> Celebrimbor was Sauron for most of it. I was like, yeah. oh, they just cut out the Gordian knot, and they just made Celebrimbor Sauron. That's cool. He was acting highly sus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then there's also, like, the, the you know, the angel that fell from heaven, if you think of Sauron basically as Satan, then the guy who is uh, not yet revealed to be, but very obviously Gandalf, could be plausibly Sauron, right? Um, although I guess like there's there is a uh, left field underpants on head possibility that that guy is Saruman instead because he's just right. a wizard, and at this point Saruman should be a good wizard. Right, anyway, right, right, exactly. like so, like th- that's one fun example of that. Another fun example of it is like so. Uh, they're they're mining they're they're digging too greedily and too deep in the dorvish mines right we all know where this is headed right where it, it, it's it's headed towards um it it has an appointment in in what what's uh what's that story i can't remember it uh it has an appointment in balragia right but <laughs> uh we know that that balrog is called durin's bane um and then the show's like here's durin Here's also Durin. <laughs> so, like, one of those guys is going to get eaten by the, by the demon, but we don't necessarily know which one. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> 
which is great. There's like there's so many Durans. It could be this guy's kid. We don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um, I did. Yeah, I did like how they made him look exactly the same. Or as much the same as they could, right? Yeah. Was, My wife asked, like, is that the same actor? Because that would be pretty cool. It isn't, but that would have been pretty cool. <laughs> oh, oh, man. I loved the Durin and Elrond plot of this story. Hey, I, I mean, so once again, like the things that uh, that these different adaptations bring, it wouldn't be Tolkien if you didn't have ponderous biblical stuff and all that's great. It wouldn't be the Peter Jackson stuff if you didn't have like deeply romantic bromance. And that's also yes. good. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Yeah. So so with Isildur, right, the, the little lines, one of my other favorite moments of the show is a Durin moment. And I, I'll bring up Isildur for a second because there's a bunch of lines that people direct at Isildur that are just like hit you in the forehead kind of lines, which I just got such, it just tickled me so much. Right. The stuff like uh, when are you ever going to have something worth sacrificing for? Like sacrificing everything for right when are you ever going to have that it's like uh, easy, easy there coach carter you know like it's, uh, it's not a situation that anybody here would would appreciate or enjoy right? like um and there's just these little lines throughout that are just like man you know wouldn't it be great if you could do something that really changed the world right because the world is so lame and uh i mean that's not a direct quote but the first one was my favorite moment with durin i think is where Elrond is trying to talk him into giving him access to the Mithril or like getting him the meeting so that he can Glengarry Glen Ross his way in, into the to the Glengarry Mithril leads or whatever, right? Always be mining and whatnot. But uh, but he said something like, you know, you would be responsible for the survival of an entire race. Right? Endurance, like I would be. A- of an entire race right and and he's like and you could tell that, that that's the part that really tickles him because the elves would all like owe him one and yeah, yeah. given yeah like you hear what i'm saying right well like, no, uh, go on oh just that like that like this is the there's the elf dwarf bromance in this show that is clearly in parallel to the legolas gimli bromance uh, where they're going to be bantering with each other and kind of high, you know, Gimli is the gruff, blue collarish kind of guy, and Legolas is like the the uh, fancy pants, private, their public school kind of guy, and and they're all going to be like cutting each other down and bantering a bunch. They're going to be chirping, as I've learned from watching Letterkenny, right? Um, Give your Mithril a tug, uh, but um, <laughs> but but like this is sort of position. In this show is sort of the part of the refresher. Part of the stuff in the show that isn't ponderously spiritual and, and or ponderously scriptural is Elrond and uh, and and Durin kind of jawing it, right? And then Elrond and then the, Durin is like, "Haha! Like I, you would all owe me for the survival of the entire race." Like that's the kind of thing that feels like ninety percent like the kind of endearing thing that we would expect from Gimli. But then you realize that the alternative is genocide, right? Like, and then, like, he's basically saying, like, I could have godlike power right, over you and all of you or all of your family. And, like, well, now we're talking. And, uh, and it's such a harmless little, like, venial moment. It's such an endearing, foibleish, you know, high fantasy as, you know, uh, companion y, you know, bantery, bo- you know, boys at war kind of stuff. That Tolkien, I think, writes when he's writing that stuff. I, I love reading him. You know, the, the Legolas Gimli relationship is one of the reasons I loved the Two Towers so much when I was a kid, relative to the other books. Um, that and the fights. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, but it's like, oh, Durin's horrible. <laughs> right? Like Durin. Not only is Durin horrible, but I'll, I'll clarify this: in the Tolkien 
metaphysics of morals, Durin is really terrible. Um, and I guess I'll float that because I think you, you probably are picking up what I'm putting down at this point. Like, like sure. wanting that. Yeah. Sure, that like that that wanting power for Tolkien is the worst thing that you could possibly do. Uh, yeah. That, that so, some people have power thrust upon them because they're like they're born to kingship, and they should they should step up and do it. But trying to like seize power, and especially trying to seize power through technology by like mining something that gives you power, is like that that way lies lies uh, becoming Satan. There's a, an interesting letter from Tolkien that's been making the rounds where he uh, he says, you know, in, in his way, it's like you know, some say, and I, I think that I they might be right that Sauron was sincere when he first. Tried tried to reform Middle-earth and was only sort of tempted into becoming evil later on because that's always what happens when you think that you know better and sort of try to put everybody's lives in order. And, you know, he's the author, right? He gets to decide whether yeah. <laughs> whether that's what Sauron was doing. So presumably also, that Sauron's is Sauron's gay. Totally gay. <laughs> that in the too, right? No, he didn't. He has more concern with... Never mind. Not, we came here not to talk about J.K. Rowling. Let's just keep moving. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so like uh, in in a very specific Tolkien kind of way, like wanting to have a magic stone that means that all the elves have to to give you homage and and fealty, like that's that is the wrong thing to do. That is absolutely the wrong thing yeah. to do. It actually makes makes more sense of the fact that at the bottom of the Mithril mine is the Balrog in a way. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And the idea that I loved the visual of the veins of Mithril going down through the crack at Casa Doom. Um, of course, got to give my shout out to my boy uh, J. Michael Straczynski in Babylon 5 with uh, Zaha Doom, Home of the Shadows, uh, <laughs> reference to Casa Doom. Uh, but yeah, but the idea, the, uh, the, the, the veins of Mithril could be the roots of this tree of this holy tree or a sort of mirror of the part of the holy tree that was standing up, or they could be cracks, you know, they could be sort of seeping cracks in the fundament of this society. Of course, they're by this huge gaping chasm uh, that has a very unhappy uh, CGI dude at the bottom with a big old horn mask on him. But, uh, but just this idea that you don't quite know whether the mithril is really a good thing or not based solely on the plot of this show, <laughs> which kind of weaves back and forth and wends back and forth in terms of what the Mithril is for and why they need it. And does, do you believe the people when they tell you why they need it? Is Sauron lying to everybody? Who is Sauron? There's sort of like, the thing about the Mithril is like, it's not, I don't want to even say it's a MacGuffin because with a MacGuffin, you want to clear, clarify that everybody wants it. And it's also not clear that everybody does want it. And the people have to talk each other into it. It's, it's, you know, it's like, a, it's like if the Maltese Falcon was like, really expensive <laughs> you know and it's like well, i don't really want to buy them yeah. like it's the stuff that dreams are made of and it's like yeah but so would like a bmw z3 you know it's like what is yeah. it 1995 like, it's like but anyway because like a, a MacGuffin, the point is that everybody wants it but it but it is nothing right whereas yeah. in this case like the, the mithril is it's almost the opposite right it is everything it's just like a, a shiny rock for those who like shiny rocks. It is medicine, kind of, for the elves. It is like, you know, plutonium, kind of, maybe, for Sauron. Uh, it's whatever anyone wants it to be. And in that sense, it's sort of like pure potential, right? And uh, potential and the ability to direct that potential. That's what people are kind of struggling over and circling around. Um one interesting thing, kind of like circling back to this idea that the alternative is genocide, 
why don't the elves want to go? <laughs> Do you have a clear <laughs> sense of this? Because like, like they're saying when when uh, when Gilgalad is like, no one wanted to save this place more than me, but it's like time to get on the boats so we can all sail to literal heaven, which is a place that we know exists. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, like, do you, do you have a sense? <laughs> I mean, I have my own opinion, uh, which is that Valinor is deaf. That that Valinor is like when we when we hear that that I mean, this is how I've read it. But of course, you know, it's not me saying that this is what's right, but this is what Tolkien necessarily thought because Tolkien Tolkien had particular ideas, of course, about about um, life after death and whatnot. But I will say, I don't think I will say I don't think Tolkien is putting an idea of life after death into his story that is like a no cost totally great everything's totally awesome nothing is lost right like kind of life after death like we're all just going to like go up there and play parcheesi and it's going to be great and we'll get high five each other like a bill and ted's bogus journey heaven i think that it involves dying right and i mean it's the undying lands but it involves kind of passing out of the world and the world is good that, that's that's the sort of that's the sort of twisted thing right it's like in that sense, Tolkien is the anti-Star Trek, because, you know, Star Trek is like, oh, man, everybody talks about how great, you know, the Federation is. But all the stories are about people who aren't the Federation who are terrible. Right? And it's sort of like, you know, to that extent, uh, what they're showing you is a mirror on the parts of society that are bad, right, uh, through the behavior of people who have, like, virtues that we sympathize with and, and want to see in our leaders and in our colleagues and stuff. But it's like, you know... The, uh, yeah. the, idea, being, the idea being that, like, the, the Federation must be peaceful because the Klingons, who we actually see, are warlike. Yeah? Right. And, and that we're really more like the Klingons than we are like the Federation. Like, we're more like the Romulans than we're like the Federation. We're, we're, we're not like the Vulcans at all. You know, like, uh, we're more like the, the, the pleasure planet of Rygar or Rygal. I'm going to get all the names just deliberately wrong. <laughs> like, uh, what does not just walk into Moorcock? Right? Like, um, <laughs> you have to read it slowly. Uh, but, but yes, the idea that like, there's a, I think there's a way to look at Star Trek as everybody talks about how great everybody is, but really what one thing you can view from it is a very wide series and broad series of satires of different sorts of ways in which people are venal, cruel, greedy, stupid, Right, all these other sorts of things with the enterprise, whoever's driving it at the time, trying to like navigate and negotiate these problems and kind of hold on to their family unit and hold on to their own kind of moral center. And at the same time, like Middle Earth is like this terrible place. And, you know, it's oh, there's there's freaking spiders in the woods all over the place. You walk like 10 miles from your house and a freaking barrel white is going to entomb you into a random pile of dirt. And like nobody ever talks about that again. <laughs> like, that's the, hey, guys, should we maybe go back and like do something about the barrel whites? Was that the only one? <laughs> like, yeah. like, what if it, what if a kid goes over there? Like, that wouldn't be good. Right. But it's like middle Earth is full of terrible, terrible things. There, there should have been a scene, you know, you know, like when um, like right at the end. And Sam's like, hey, remember back in the Shire, right? Like, Mr. Frodo, we'll go home again one day soon. There, are, there should have been a sequel conversation to that, where Frodo's like, hey, Sam, remember Tom Bombadil? <laughs> did, did, did that actually happen? <laughs> well, Mr. Frodo, I've seen a lot of things. <laughs> like, uh, oh, man, he turns into Winston from Ghostbusters, just pleading, I have seen issues that would turn you white, Mayor. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> But the but point yes, you were saying that, like, middle, middle Earth very bad. <laughs> middle 
Venezuela is a very bad place where there are even entire countries that are just bad, that are too big to be in the story, right? Which is probably like one of the major problems with Middle Earth as like a political synthesis, right? Which is just like, we never really learn about the orcs, or what they do, uh, because they're all bad and the world is sh- just crap. But when you narrow it down to the level of experience of a hobbit, Middle Earth is wonderful, you know, you get food, you can you can smoke a pipe, you can live in a nice little hovel, right? Like a little hollow, you know, like you can if you if you don't if you manage to somehow not do all the stupid and terrible things that everybody is doing, like being in Middle Earth is pretty great, right? Like uh like Rivendell's a nice place. You yeah. know, Lothlorien is a nice place. And like and they and they also you don't have to be that cra- Bree is positioned as this like super scary, terrible place, but like, you know, Guys like Bard are like decent, you know, there's decent people who are trying to protect it. And like, if you want to look at the value of any particular place, don't don't necessarily look at the warriors. You know, their job is to kind of be in the worst situations. Um, but sure. just that, and, like, uh, yeah, and, like, and the, Bree, the idea that, sorry, as I say, just, say just like Bree, Bree is terrible for the hobbits who are tourists from the Shire, but like they're tourists. So anything would be scary yeah. for them. Yeah. The idea is that there's a possibility that Middle Earth could be really great. And that it's the people who keep having all this ambition to reform and reshape and, like, strive for all these sort of grand things that the story is a, and this is the thing that Peter Jackson movies really don't do at all, right, which is center the story on the hobbits and, and kind of almost position the rest of this stuff as, as like almost like something to be overcome rather than the be all end all thing that should be the awesomest thing that anybody cares about, right? Like, we have to, we are not, that, that, that's the thing is that you are not Aragorn. That, that's that's the big thing, right? With Tolkien, is like you are not Gandalf, you are Sam, you are Frodo. Like, all, there's this idea that there's people in the world who are doing all this crazy stuff, or, or spirits, right? Like metaphysical spirits that he believes in that are doing all this stuff, and and that's not the human experience, but that's the way that the human experience relates to the sort of bigger experience, which is really scary and terrible. But the human experience is really good, you know, because you got friends and you got parties, birthday parties, the, the, yeah. you know. It, there's there's, a, there's an 111th birthday party with like beautiful cakes and a and a dragon fireworks and everybody's like smoking something that doesn't make them sick, right? Like um, you know, it's it's basically yeah. uh, Huey Lewis in the news. I want a new drug. It's just the Shire, right? All the time. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it doesn't make well, me sick. And it's interesting because, like, going back to this moral metaphysics that Tolkien has, right, like, the the ending, which is kind of bittersweet, but more sweet than bitter, is that all of the high fantasy stuff, like, drains out of the world, and it's left to to Hobbit life, right? Yeah. Like, that, that's what's left at the end of the day. Uh, you know, Sauron is gone, all the elves are also going to go, Aragorn is going to kind of, like, live for a really long time, but then he's going to die as well, and eventually you're just left with generation after generation of hobbits eating entire pumpkins right yeah yeah and then like like the return of the king focuses a lot of time on faramir and eowyn um which which as as i recall and again i'm reaching way back it's probably like more time than you probably would think that they should right like focus time on like faramir and eowyn right because it's like now i'm going to call him day north but like that's is that the wrong name that's the name of the guy from Tad Williams books. What's the name of the steward of Gondor who throws himself off the bridge? Denethor. The parapet? Denethor. Deonorth is the son of Yasua, the one-handed, from the Dragonbone Chair. <laughs> Denethor is the guy who went on 
uh, parlor too much and like got really upset about like how the uh, the world was ending because a bunch of orcs were going to take our jobs and throw himself off of off of his balcony. Um, but the idea that like the Denethor Denethor isn't going to keep running Gondor. Like the people who are going to be running Gondor are going to be like a little bit more like even Boromir isn't going to be running Gondor. It's going to be people like Faramir who's like softer than Boromir, you know, and and that's probably good. Um, and I'm not saying this is a happy ending. I'm, I'm not saying categorically this is how it is. But I do think that if you go to Valinor, that's what you give up is like life. Right. And and human life. Um, sure. And yeah, you know, and but I actually, guess for these characters, they shouldn't care because they're not human. Right. Yeah. But they um, did a great job of like of thematizing that in this show when like they're, they're yeah. sailing there and like the gates open and then suddenly like all the elves burst into this perfect song. Right. And it, it yeah. doesn't feel like they're not like Anna one and a two, right? This isn't something that they're, they're practicing. They're not singing amazing grace or some kind of religious song. This is like the spirit of the undying lands is moving them and they are transfigured. Right. And then Galadriel is the most human of them. And she's like, Nope, gonna, gonna just dive off the boat. Right. But like you, you do see them leaving their sort of humanity, elfanity, whatever the part of them that isn't just sort of a reverberation of the divine choir behind in order to enter that space. Um, which is, I mean, but I don't know, because like, <laughs> this is an interesting, an interesting point of view, because I feel like with, uh, with people in the real world, usually the problem of saying like, well, what's so bad about death? Because you get to go to heaven afterwards. The answer is like, well, but do you though? Because I'm not really sure. <laughs> Whereas uh, <laughs> here, what you're sort of putting forward is what's so bad about going to heaven. And the answer is like, well, there's all this cool stuff that you have to leave behind, um, which is like, you know, that that's definitely a, a colorable claim. Um, but there are, there are a whole like whole early discredited versions of Christianity where like, that's what the fall of man is about. Right. Yeah. Is that sort of some, some aspect of the total unified Godhood is like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool to have a physical body for just a minute? And like, thus sin enters the world. And eventually at the end of days, all of us sort of like fallen fragments are going to say like, Oh, wait a minute. No bodies are terrible. I want to go back to being God. And like the universal sort of fold back on in, in on itself to a single point. And like, you know, that is the nature of sin in that cosmology, right? Is like wanting to have experiences. But I do think that it's something that like, I mean, Tolkien is a great writer about food, right? Like, and, and, basic basic pleasures of friendship and the hearth and that kind of thing and all those experiences like obviously he loves that stuff every bit as much as he loves you know elves and uh, yeah. and magic and everything else yeah. and so yeah, and of course the show didn't really go into this a whole lot well because there are there are things they could say you know like the um avondale right or avonlea anne of avonlea which is the name of the, the woman who is in the tower. No, so, okay. So the elf-human romance that's in this story, I think, is somewhat in that space of, well, why wouldn't you leave? He's supposed to leave. It's like you right. got called back home. You're supposed to leave. And it's like, I don't want to leave. I love yeah. it here. And I love this yeah. person who's here. Like, and I don't want to go. Look, can't you tell her outfit, like, unlike everyone else here, her outfit has no sleeves. Like, how can you possibly right. look away? <laughs> Oh, I did love how somebody pointed out, I think, that she was wearing a visible sport bra at one point, which I don't mind. It's all good. The orcs were wearing crazier stuff, like skulls and things like that. I wouldn't wear a skull to my crossbow. That's a little bit much. 
Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't wear a sports bra either. You know, that's kind of not here or there. The point <laughs> what I just say here is uh, is the other thing is that there is a plan in all of this cosmology for the people who stay in Middle Earth. You know, it's this is a there is divinity. There is like you know, and you are rewarded for abiding by your standing. You know, and and how is it? How are you rewarded in mysterious ways? You know, because that's how this all works. We don't know. You know, maybe at some point when you think you're going to die, an eagle will pick you up. Why did I get the eagle the whole time? And it's like you don't. You don't. <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> but uh, but but I, I did think one moment that I really loved, and I want to get into two more moments I really loved before we wrap, and I'll be quick about them. I love the moment where the the wife slash mom, right, whose name I believe is Anne of Green Gables. No, I think her name is, is um, uh, we're going to call her Cleopatra. Do you know what her name was? What was her name? Xena Warrior Princess? No. Cecily Stronger? I'll go with that. When Cecily Stronger is telling everybody that they're going to make a stand at this tower, it feels felt to me like a prefiguration of Minas Tirith. And and uh, what Asgiliath is that the name of the other city? The idea that there are these towers that are on the boundary of Mordor, where people will make a stand against Sauron, and that this is something that's supposed to happen, and that feels very biblical, you know, to me because in the Bible there's a lot of stuff that repeats. There's, you know, it's, it's part of the way that it functions. It's like, oh, there's this story where somebody is is breaking bread, and there's this story where someone's breaking bread, and there's this story where there's a lamb, and there's that story where there's a lamb. And if you see somebody who, you know, is yeah. like, uh, you know, there's a lost lamb, and they're going to go try to find the lost lamb, like that, you know that person's a good guy, right? Uh, probably a guy, because the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, if, if you see a story where they are um, worshipping Balaam and Asherah, then probably not such a good guy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And But it's like, you know, these things kind of uh, come back, you know, and the hook brings you back. And uh, the idea that in this world there is some sort of greater hand that is prefiguring that there will be a stand at a tower on the boundary of Mordor that will make all the difference, and that the people who are doing it will be utterly hopeless in their ability to do it, but will do it anyway. And it will, and again, it will make all the difference for reasons that they can't possibly comprehend, having to do with Gollum winning the rose at the end. <laughs> like, sure. uh, like they don't know who Gollum is, you know. Um, what, what so, so this, you this, you, yeah. you like that moment because of sort of the rhyme with the various versions of it that happened at other parts of the uh, of the Lord of the Rings franchise is what you're. Yes, saying. yes, yeah. yes. There's a lot of rhyming, and it's and it creates a meta plot of oh, is this thing that I've heard before going to happen again, or is it going to go in a different direction? And and I think the show kind of follows that even more than it follows the sequence of events. Um, hmm. I'm not even yeah. mentioning who you who we think all the, like who's the little kid is he the witch king you know is he the founder of Gondor he could be anybody I don't know but I feel like his story is really important uh, and they keep throwing <laughs> symbols at him you know that, uh, the, the funny thing is like so uh, he's not supposed to be Arondir's kid right like Arondir and Bronwyn is woman's <laughs> name like they're they're smoldering but they haven't been been intimate right and yet like they have not shown that kid's ears he's had his yeah. hair over his ears the entire time it like it's at this point they're doing a bit right like because because they're they just will refuse to let us know anyway <laughs> hey man once uh, you go elf you stay on the shelf all right that's how it works. <laughs> oh dear lord uh, but you said you had a second part that you really really liked so yeah my the last part the really the most beautiful part of the show i think is that well the, the hobbit song and the conversation between nori and the wizard you know i'm sure i i, I don't 
plan. I don't. I have not done the research to know with precision who each of these people are supposed to be. Whether it's Gandalf, whether it's Radagast, whether it's Saruman, whether it's whatever. Probably Gandalf, right? But the wizard. Um, and and she talks about peril, right? And how and like the journey to get to the orchard and the and the perils that are along the way. And it really recasts the concept of adventure. You know, it's it's like for all these other people, it's like, well, you got to go down to the Southlands, and there's going to be a whole bunch of orcs that are led by you know this our joker looking dude right and like you need to rouse the people and fight the orcs and and, and if you do then you could become the king and, and and that's the sort of galadriel vision and then we'll kill them all and, and that's gonna be great right um whereas nori is like you know we could go to the, we're gonna go to this place and then like there's stuff there that could kill us and it's really dangerous right and then we're gonna go to this place and there's stuff there that's dangerous and could really kill us but if we keep going and we and we stay on the path and and you know we take care of each other there's the most beautiful apples that you've ever had right in this beautiful and um and that the goodness the goodness of the wizard is that he brings back the apples more than that he like zaps you know i was really hoping that that was a gender swap saruman that they were just gonna be like i am saruman i'm played by christina <laughs> lee i'm like a i'm a cgi <laughs> feminization of christopher lee he left in his will that after he died he wanted saruman to be brought back as a hot chick right because he's christopher <laughs> lee and he asks for whatever he wants and, uh, and that's me i am i am uh, and again i apologize for being you know degrading and, and uh, objectifying but this part of the show felt that way a little bit with the uh yeah. the like dead evil annie lennox boob harness that she was wearing <laughs> yeah like, uh, they were the the ascetics i think the subtitles called them yeah. were a questionable choice if you ask me yeah um, yeah yeah and they well, were no, also I, like on the preview screen for the show on amazon right <laughs> so terrible <laughs> um, um maybe that just I, says more about me and the algorithm maybe. <laughs> yeah, you, all, you get different preview screens, right? But uh, m- maybe they know what you will hate watch. But anyway, uh, like, yeah, I, I agree. The sort of the the, the Hobbit life, the Harfoot life, uh, is is presented as a really kind of interesting and more appealing sort of way of being where you have, you have these very basic rewards and then you have these utterly overwhelming challenges that you have to get through to get the rewards. And significantly, like you never, you know, you know, that, uh, fight or flight reflex that we all have. Like, yeah, yeah, they they don't have that. They have the flight reflex. (laughs) (laughs) The notion of like, Oh, there's giant spiders here. So we should kill them to make this path safe. So that then we can just go back and forth between like mushroom town and appleburg all we want that is not on the table it's like we're going to you know we are mice they are cats we are going to scamper through the underbrush and hope that not too many of us get caught yeah and then when when uh, the wizard's like in my apparel that was just so sweet and and it and i think it does for this whole notion what you know the peter jackson stuff really didn't which was you know kind of center it on uh on the fact that a lot of the bad things that happen to people are bad, and the people who do them are bad people, like Galadriel, yeah. who's a bad person, really. sure, yeah. <laughs> and shouldn't have a ring of power, but does anyway, right? Um, to close out, Jordan, let me ask you something. Do you feel like your ring, ring you wear, is a ring of power? Um, I mean, yeah, you know what? I, I don't think that if you had asked me this before this podcast, I would have said yes. But when you were doing that sort of bit about Rather's wedding at the beginning, I was like, huh, you know, wedding rings are the most powerful rings that people actually interact with these days. Um, you know, I mean, there were, I guess there were signet rings at one point. Those had a certain kind of power to them. But like the, you know, the the wedding ring is not the most legally binding part of the ceremony, but it feels like part of it. So, yeah.
yeah, it, it, the the ring is part of what makes me be married to my wife, right? Not in the eyes of the law, but in the eyes of society, in the eyes of myself. And that that's a kind of power. It's probably about the most powerful piece of apparel, broadly construed, that I that I put on these days, which is saying something because my glasses are a heavy prescription. <laughs> uh, How about I you? Gotta leave it there. Oh no, I'll, I'll answer it too. I'll answer the question too. I'll say that uh, I was just musing when I was thinking about the themes of this show, and I was thinking about what I thought about marriage before I was married, and the idea of like, oh, you're only going to be with one person, or like, oh, you know. You know, the, even the, the retrograde idea of like a ball and chain, right? Like you're going to be beholden to what this other person wants. Um, and this, this is that your marriage is going to be a restriction on you and that you're not going to get to have fun anymore because you're married. I, I haven't found anything farther. Like, and not, not in the sense that like, oh man, you know, marriage was a revelation in the sense of like feeling super free, but rather that like my interaction with like freedom has like nothing to do with me being. I was going to say, like, what, what, what you learned is that actually the thing that ruins your freedom is having children. <laughs> they're great. They're awesome. They have yeah. no social skills. <laughs> they're, they're working on it. They yell a lot. Um, but yeah, yeah, like, no, that, um, that basically I would have despair. so much less freedom if I didn't, if I wasn't married. You know, like, like my wife is such a source of strength. Um, and, and it's such a source of optionality. Like I can do this podcast because I'm married. I wasn't married. I wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. But granted, like I would have my kids and I love my kids. Even when- oh yeah. They're, they're great. <laughs> I, mean, I love your kids too. Not in a weird yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> this is not, this is not an anti-kid podcast, but like, man, they take up some time. All right. What I'm saying is like, when you go, when does not just walk to Los Angeles? <laughs> you have to fly. On the wings of the eagles, and I hope that you have a wonderful time, and that there are no perils that take you too far off the path, um, and that the uh, the apples at the at the reception are the most delicious that you've ever had. Best wishes to to Matt and Christina for, for their uh, their ring of power, uh, whether it is merely the power to say my wife is going to be here soon to the person asking if you made a reservation, which just gives yeah here here I would like. To- yeah. Jordan, thank you so much for joining. Me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. And if you liked this and you like me and Jordan Jibber Javid, you should become an Overthinking It member and get the main line of the Thor Love and Thunder cast to where Jordan and I go deep on a 12 part uh, hero's journey of our own, in, uh, hashing out everything that we loved and thought was hilarious and awesome and, and ridiculous about Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah. And we have a Discord. You can find the link to it. Overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. Okay, I have to do one more little rant. You know that that touching hobbit ritual where they're like, we'll wait for you, we'll wait for you. Every single one of those people died because they did not, in fact, wait for them. (laughs) This is is like going to somebody's wake and being like, I raise a glass to you. I'm not going to back you over with my car. (laughs) Look, man, it's Middle Earth. Sometimes people just do the bare minimum, right? It's Middle Earth. It's mid. That's the deal, right? Everyone's (laughs) mid on Middle Earth.